let's, let's hear our scripture for this morning from John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples as after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. For very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt, go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the abundance of your word. Lord, make us full and satisfied on this recollection of your risen son. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, Here's a little Florida one-on-one for you. 
In the summertime, you do not go out and play. It's not a thing you do. It's too hot. So instead, you stay home and watch daytime talk shows. So Sean and I watched a lot of daytime talk shows. And um, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Donahue, some Maury, some Geraldo. And uh, my favorite ones of these, by far, are the ones where there's like two strangers and they're sitting up front, or, or maybe even, no, someone's just in the audience. Some, someone's just there. They're just there. No one knows who they are. And there's someone up front, and um, Donahue says, we have a surprise for you. You never knew your biological mom, and she's here with us today. And everybody goes nuts. What? I can't believe it. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, and then their life has changed because it you know, turns out that they uh, own a yacht or something, you know. And, and this is also the, this was, there was a period of time where this was like the premise of great movies was like average Joe finds out, I think it probably was Carrot Top, I don't know, but they find out that they're like 85th in line for the royal throne and everyone else has died and now they're the king or queen of England. What? I can't believe it. This is an amazing moment. And their whole life changes because of this, this realization, this, this, uh, this, this announcement, this, this unveiling or revelation of a relationship that they never knew that they had in the first place. Well, that's, that helps us see what's happening in the scripture this morning. It begins with the disciples and they're out fishing. And, and a lot of people see this moment of them being out fishing as, as, as problematic. Um, they've seen Jesus. They've actually seen him twice. Um, uh, you know, the, the first time he visits them and then he visits them again with Thomas. And so they've seen him twice. And then they go fishing. And a lot of people sort of scratch their head at this and say, why... Why aren't they, you know, like the people who find out they're now the king of England? Like, why haven't they lost their mind because Jesus is risen? And it's because that's all they know right now. That something miraculous has happened, but they don't know what it yet means for them. So there's this, and, and maybe you've had this a moment, you know, with Christianity where you're, you know, you, you've been presented with the facts and you think, you know, okay, Jesus has risen. And you think, okay, well, you know, I think I can get behind that. But you're not exactly sure what does this mean for me and what, what implications does this have for my life? Something miraculous happened. It's amazing. It's marvelous. But I have to go to work. That, and that's, that's really what the disciples, like literally, they were like, they were like wow, that's incredible. It's like going to the Grand Canyon. Like you, you go to the Grand Canyon and you just think like, this is incredible. And then after a while you think, I need a sandwich. <laughs> you know, cause you still gotta eat. You gotta have some food. And that's, that's really all the disciples are up to here is like, they gotta keep living. You know, they gotta go to work. They gotta, you know. So that's what they did. They went, they got in the boat. They were fishing all night. 
it wasn't a good day of work, pretty unproductive. And then what's going to happen is there's, there's three times in our scripture where Jesus is, is, is recognized as the Lord. And these three things are going to tell us three things about what it means that Jesus has risen for our relationship with him, their relationship with him, our relationship with him, and the implications for why our lives can never, ever, ever be the same once Jesus is risen. The first one is this scene where they, um, where they're, like I said, they're fishing all night. It's morning time. That's how you fished back then. You had to fish all through the night. It's morning time. They've caught nothing. Some of you know what this is like, an unproductive day at work. And they're perhaps pretty frustrated. Interestingly, the, the scripture never says that they see Jesus. In fact, they're 100 yards away, so it would be tough to recognize him. And yet, and yet, John turns to Peter and says, it is the Lord. Why? How does John get it? How does John recognize the Lord if he can't see them, if he's 100 yards off? It's not his facial features. It's not his posture. He recognizes him because Jesus steers them, guides them into abundance. He says, put the, put the net on the other side. And they do, they bring in the hall, and John says, I know exactly who this is. This is Jesus. So the first way we recognize the Lord, Jesus as Lord, is, is the Lord of creation and the Lord of abundance. We, we live in the world where the main story is not abundance. We live in the world where the main story is scarcity. The main story is that there's just not enough and we're gonna to have to compete. We're gonna to have to ration. We're gonna to have to, um, um, you know, we're, we're gonna to have to see who the, who the strongest are, the fittest are. We're gonna to have to be Darwinian about this. That's the kind of world we live in. This is not a, this is, but, but that is only a story that we're being told. That's not the reality. Here's a very small example of this. Um, I, uh, as you all know, because you've heard me preach, um, garlic is planted in the fall. I, I, I try to, part of my role as a pastor, you know, when it all collapses and oil runs out, I at least feel like I've prepared you for, for the apocalypse because I've given you some gardening tips along the way. So you, you'll, you'll know how to pray, uh, you'll know how to worship Jesus, and, and you'll know how to plant garlic. But, so you, you plant it in the fall. But one thing I've been doing wrong for several years is yeah, I was getting a little greedy with my garlic, and I was planting them a little too close together, okay? And, and so, you know, because I just wanted more, you know? And I thought, this is fertile stuff. I'm putting stuff in here. And so in the, in the late fall, I just planted the garlic, and the late fall, um, Sandy's great aunt Rosie comes and visits along with um, Sandy's grandmother. And I'm telling, Ro Rosie and I are gardening buddies. And so I'm telling Rosie about my garlic and, and that I just don't have a lot of success with garlic. And she asked how far apart they were. And I told her and she says, oh, they need to be twice as far apart. This, is, this will never do. And she said, you know, you can get to it next year. Do, do it next fall. And I thought, oh, no. No, so I went in and I guessed where the bulbs were and I pulled up every other one and I doubled the space, which felt like a waste, felt like an extreme waste, but I doubled the space we have for garlic. 
and I planted them further apart. Well, let me tell you, my garlic looks way better than it's ever looked in my entire life. It looks awesome. I'm just so delighted every day. I go visit it, we talk. It's wonderful. And so it's, it's a small example, but the, the point I'm trying to make is the abundance is there. But sometimes when we approach it from a perspective of scarcity, that's what we get back, is scarcity. The abundance is there. Sometimes we have to sit with scarcity for a little while. They had to sit all night without any fish. Job had to just sit, sit in his troubles until one day the abundance came. He had to sit in the faithfulness. You know, the, the abundance isn't a constant thing. Sometimes the abundance comes in the morning and we're, we're sitting through the night. But the abundance always comes. Why? Because Christ is risen. Jesus is risen from the grave. Death, the ultimate scarcity, could not hold him. And now anything is possible. We simply have to have faith and to sometimes, like I say, sit in the scarcity and wait. So that's the first way that Jesus encounters us. And it may be that you're at work and you're experiencing scarcity at work, but Jesus, Jesus offers abundance even in our work, even in the places, the ordinary places that we work. The second way that Jesus is revealed as Lord is, is they, they bring the fish to the beach and what do they find? They find that Jesus has cooked a meal for them. He's been busy. He cooks up some fish, he's prepared some bread, and what he does is he invites them to the table and he asks them to contribute something to the meal, to the feast. And then he serves them and he presides over it. So Jesus is Lord by offering us a place in community. We all wonder if we fit in. We all wonder how we fit in. We all wonder if, if our strangeness and our peculiarity is really going to, um, if, it, if it's going to disqualify us from community or not. And so here's what Jesus does. He says, everybody has something to contribute. Every one of us brings something. But isn't it interesting what they bring? They bring the fish. Where did the fish come from? from the abundance that Jesus brought in the first place. And so very often what we're bringing is just from God's abundance in the first place, but we all have something to contribute. But what really makes us as a community is that Christ is the center. Christ is the host. Christ is the one preparing the meal, preparing the table and welcoming us. And so they all look at each other, the disciples, and they say, they say, we don't need to ask who this is. We know it's the Lord. Again, they didn't recognize his face. It wasn't about features. It wasn't about stature. They knew it was the Lord because he was gathering them in a community. There are some communities that you know why that community exists. You know it's, it's, it's because there's something people like. You know, they like to do something, and so they get together and they do it. But there are other communities where it's hard to tell. It can be hard to tell what brings them together. And I think of Peak this way. There's a lot of differences here. But what brings us together is not the stuff that we have in common with each other, 
What brings us together is that Christ is the head of the table and Christ thinks and loves each and every one of us the same way. And so there's no really other reason why we should be together. It doesn't make sense otherwise, except that Christ is welcoming us, preparing the fish, serving the bread to each and every one of us, offering each of us a place to contribute. And that's what we do. And we might feel like our contributions aren't very good. I mean, fish and bread, what does that remind you of? And this is a retelling of the feeding of the 5,000. And the feeding of the 5,000, you know, Jesus did not start that before a young boy said, hey, here's my sack lunch. And he took the sack lunch and he made something remarkable out of it. You know, that, now, that, now that Sam is tradi- transitioning to another place, we can talk a lot more about him. Um, Sam Fagbeni, our, our former music person. But you know, this is what Sam did. He had a sack lunch of some skills and he said, yeah, I'll offer this. And it was multiplied in our midst and we were blessed by it. So you wanna see the risen Jesus? You wanna see the Lord? Participate in a community where he is at the center, where he is offering bread, where he is offering fish, where he is bringing us together. So that's the second way. The third way, the third way is this very interesting conversation he has with Peter. And and, and in this situation, he's being revealed as the shepherd. And you know, another word for shepherd is pastor. So Jesus is pastoring. Peter. In the very first story, there was a kind of scarcity of, of fish, you know, scarcity of stuff. In the second one, we can experience a scarcity in community where we think that we don't fit in or something like that. In this, in this situation, Peter is experiencing the scarcity in himself because he has betrayed Jesus. Uh, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we were just out in that parking lot, we were around a fire, and as the smoke was, like, coming into my face and something was happening, um, I'm reading the story about how Peter is before a fire and three times he denies Jesus. And now Jesus is going to restore Peter as a pastor, as a shepherd. He's going to bring him back. Because here's what Peter's doing. Peter's like, yeah, 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 I totally love you, Jesus. But I'm not qualified to do what you want me to do. I've, I've done some terrible things. And so what Jesus is doing, he's, he's making the link. And he's saying, if you love me, then you will be your peter self. Uh, let me, it, it's, it's sort of connected to what I was talking about with the kids. So let me explain So, yeah, if you have a sheep, and the sheep has no shepherd, the sheep has no no boundary, sheep has no wall, sheep has no food, how is that sheep going to act? It's going to act, as the kid said, afraid, lost, um, hungry, deprived. But if that sheep is taken care of, what happens to that sheep? That sheep can be its full sheepy self. And that's what sheep want to be. They want to be their full sheepy selves. And that's what God wants all of us to be, our full, you know, whatever he selves, our full selfie selves. So what is, are you disqualifying yourself from being your full selfie self? 
Ask yourself that question. What is it? What, what are you doing that's disqualifying yourself? You might think like, I, you know, I'm just, I, you know, I'm just, here we go. We're going to, we're going to riff a little bit. Um, what do you think some things are that could disqualify you from being your selfie self? Um, maybe doubt. Doubt about yourself, doubt about God. That's one, maybe. Does that ring any bells? It does for me. Any others? What else could disqualify? Not you personally, the other person that, you know, somebody else that you know who's not in this room. Guilt. What's that? Guilt. Guilt? Yes, guilt can disqualify us. Anxiety. Deep feeling of guilt and anxiety? Yes. What else? Weakness. Weakness. Yeah, we, we, we think that weakness is a barrier to us being ourselves. Shame. Shame. Yeah. Yes. And I, I do think that's Pe- a lot of what Peter was experiencing in this moment is some kind of shame. And, okay, so th- these are good. Like, I mean, I think we've got like a lot of it with that, unless you have any other ones. Pride. Yeah, pride. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we can think too little of ourselves. We can also think too much of ourselves. That's possible too. Okay, well, these are great. Yeah, this is plenty to go on. You guys should help me with my sermons more. And so what needs to happen is some healing for Peter. And, and so Jesus provides healing, but healing can never be detached from vocation. It can never be detached from what we're supposed to be doing in the world, like what we've been made to do. And so, so Jesus won't let Peter get away with just kind of feeling better about that situation. He's like, hey, look, you know, if you love me, you're going to love what I love. And I love these people. I love these disciples. You're Peter. This is like, this is your wheelhouse. And I want you to love them too. Now, we're not all supposed to be pastors, but I think in a way we are actually all supposed to be pastors. So let me explain what I mean. Um, uh, so I, I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor in this space. But Peter will go later on to write that there's something called a royal priesthood, which is, just means that everybody's a pastor. And what that means is that you may not be a pastor here, but you're a pastor wherever you are. You're a pastor in your homes. You're a pastor in your relationships. You're a pastor in your friendships. You're a pastor in the kind of work that you get up to, whether you paid for it or not. You're, you're, you have a pastoral role. It's the work of caring. It's the work of tending. It's the work of loving. And it's, it's the work of, of waiting and teasing out abundance. And it's the work of forming communities where people are, can bring their contributions. All of you are meant to be pastors, wherever you are. You'll leave here and you'll go and you'll pastor in your home and you'll go and pastor in your work. And you'll go and pastor in these places. I got to hear a story this weekend about a guy named Antonio. Antonio is a security guard in the Lower East Side of New York City. 
different context than ours, a little bit different. Um, Antonio is security guard, it's an apartment complex. And in the middle of this apartment complex is something called the Oval. It's kind of like this um, open space uh, with a fountain in the middle, and you can guess how it's shaped. And Antonio sees himself as the pastor of the Oval. He's the pastor of the Oval. And, and there was a, another pa a church pastor who was telling me about this, and he said the reason Antonio feels this way is because he is utterly and completely content and satisfied with who he is in Christ and who he is in the world and where God has put him. And it has freed him to become a pastor in that space. He's taken care of by a shepherd. And so he can be his full Antonio-y self. And so that's the question for all of us. If we are so loved, if we are so taken care of, if Christ is risen as our shepherd, as the Lord of abundance of the creation, as the one who builds community, if that is all true, where are you a pastor? What lambs are you tending? Who are you feeding? What are you caring for? That's the question for you. The good news is that Christ is always present to each of us. Whenever we doubt, whenever we have a fear about this, Christ is always present to ask us, ask us, do you love me? Then be the pastor I've called you to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, we thank you for your son coming to us as shepherd. Lord, may we lie down in green pastures. May we take our seat at the table that's prepared in the midst of our enemies. May we be comforted by his rod and staff. May your goodness follow us all the days of our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again through these doors. Amen. Go in peace. Yeah.